Welcome to Digital Poets. Together, we're learning how to decode the 21st century. But in order to do that, let's first go back and take a look at how we even got this thing called poetry in the first place. Poetry actually gets its name from the Greek word poesis, which, which literally means making. So in the broadest sense of the word, like, like we said in our first episode, poets are makers. Specifically, poets are people who use creativity to make meaning. As far as when poetry first started, scholars kind of disagree a little bit. Some say it even predates writing itself. What we do know is we can date poems as far back as prehistoric times with hunting poetry in Africa, which I'm very curious about. Like, what was that like? Like, you know, ode to a barbecue lion? Anyway, some of the earliest written poetry from the African region can be found in the pyramid texts written sometime in the 25th century BC. And then, of course, you've got the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was written in Mesopotamia, which is now modern-day Iraq around the 18th century BC. Then you've got the Greeks with their guy Homer, who wrote both the Iliad and the Odyssey. And even though we've only got written versions uh, dating somewhere around like the 8th century, it's suspected that those poems were, were passed down orally long, long before that. Which brings up a pretty good distinction. It, it seems like the main purpose of early poems was to get people to, to memorize stuff they, they didn't want to forget. Since, you know, like there wasn't the printing press around or, or the internet, and we all know how great the internet has been at helping us remember things factually. And this is important because at some point, a few centuries later, Aristotle, another guy from Greece, man, what's going on with Greece? They brought us Aristotle, they brought us the Iliad, they brought us Olivia Newton-John. Aristotle said, wait a minute, there, there, there's different levels of poetry. Some stuff is, is just there to, you know, help people remember something, but, but other stuff is super deep and, and meant to challenge people on a, on a whole other level. It also seems like some poetry is, is, is just better than others. And, and then there's some stuff that really shouldn't be called poetry at all. So let's start categorizing and critiquing all this stuff and call it, wait for it, poetics. But then something, something amazing happened. Even though Aristotle was, was a pretty smart guy, although he had some pretty questionable views on uh, slavery, and by questionable, I mean super, super wrong. No one could agree with the guy wholeheartedly about his classifications one way or the other, even scholars. You know, it wasn't like the entire globe all of a sudden went, okay, cool, here's the new standard, let's all fit within this framework. No, you had the opposite. You had people all over the planet coming up with their own forms of poetry. You had folk songs from China and Ireland. You've got the masters of brevity and efficiency, Japan, who, who not surprisingly came up with the haiku. You've got John Keats in the, in the Romantics, which sounds like an English punk band. Well, he was from England, and he coined the term negative capability to mean that that really great poets should aspire to create something beautiful even if it pushes people's comfort zones or understanding of logic and certainty i love that and then you've got america where all the cultures come together at once and start making babies with each other and then they're surprised when they get a bunch of new awesome innovative blended poetry and then there's still this sort of modern versus postmodern battle about what a poet should look like and how new generations want to express themselves, which thankfully never really spilled over into racism, classism, politics, religion, sexual orientation. Thank goodness. For example, Ralph Waldo Emerson, right, the great poet, he once said, in poetry, you've got to ask the fact for the form, which basically means, hey, look, kids, you want to be a poet, that's fine, but you've got to ask permission from the rules of poetry. No template breaking, none of this, you know, beep bopping to the newfangled snappy tunes that the kids are listening to. The good news is nobody really listened to him on this. In fact, it, it seems like ever since we've discovered poetry, we keep defining and redefining what it means to be a meaning maker. A creator using this, this beautiful combo of taking cues from the past and bringing our own present identity 
in order to create a brand new future. It's no surprise that, that the Langston Hughes sounds like hip-hop lyrics, or, or we keep constantly retelling the story of Romeo and Juliet. So what's the point? Why is this called Digital Poets? Because poetry is ever-evolving. You know, the, the one thing that, that hasn't seemed to change, whether it's the Epic of Gilgamesh saying, you know, how long does a building stand before it falls out? How long does a contract last? How long must brothers quarrel? How long must hatred last? Or, you know, Bob Dylan saying, how many years can a mountain exist before it is washed to the sea? How many years must some people exist before they're allowed to be free? Or, or Kendrick saying, you know, this plot is, is bigger than me. It, it, it's, it's genesism, it's hatred, it's grimy, little justification. Poetry's foundational purpose is, is to help us wake up and understand something on a deeper, more integrated level. To capture our imaginations where, where we don't forget or, or lose might be a better term. Something that's special about who we are as humans. And, and that seems to be the invitation for every meaning maker, regardless of what century they live in. That and to break the rules. Thanks for listening to Digital Poets. To find out more about Ringbeller Studios and how we can help you and your organization create fun and engaging learning content, especially in this virtual age where everyone is working from home, we've actually learned a couple things throughout this crisis, go to ringbeller.com studio. You can also pick up my book, Get Weird, at getweirdbook.com. Hey, and there are video versions of each of these episodes full of clips and visuals and footage that you obviously can't see here. So subscribe at youtube.com slash cjcas. Or if you are a diehard podcaster, I get it, I am too, do me a favor and, and leave a quick review. Next week, we'll ask the question, what does a philosopher from the 60s have to do with a present-day farmer? And why are both of them warning us about the dangers of digital consumerism? We'll see you next time.